Are you handling a lot of stress and worry in your professional life or even in your personal life right now? If you are, today's episode will be helpful to you in how to manage stress and to conquer worry more effectively. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 214. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you to develop your leadership skills. I'm glad to welcome you back to the show, or perhaps to the, for the first time. And if you have been listening to the show for a bit, you know that I'm a big believer in leading ourselves first, looking at ourselves, examining our actions, our belief systems, educating ourselves so that we can take the right actions and how we lead more effectively. And one of the things that all of us need to manage, if not to become more masterful at is to handle stress and worry in our own lives and in our own careers so that we can best be positioned to lead from a place of confidence and strength. And it doesn't mean that as leaders that we never deal with stress, all of us deal with it, but to uh, look at ways that we can approach stress and worry with some effective tactics that will help us to manage it better to overcome it quicker, and to not have it be debilitating in our work and in our personal relationships. And I say this as someone who has definitely struggled with stress and worry in my life, and I know many of you have as well. So, And, and, and I fully expect to continue to struggle with that. Uh, but uh, today, if you can take these principles, I think it'll help you to manage it more effectively. And I have brought in today an expert in stress and worry. And that would be me. <laughs> when I was a kid, I stressed and worried about everything. I've gotten better as an adult for sure and as a leader, I hope. Um, but, uh, but I've certainly dealt with a lot in my life that has caused stress and caused worry at times. And I'm reminded of the quote from Mark Twain, at least it's attributed to Mark Twain, that uh, he said toward the end of his life, I'm an old man and I have known many troubles most of which never happened. And when I think about the things that I have stressed about or worried about in my life, most of them indeed fall into that category. Either they're things that never ended up needing to be worried about or stressed about, or they ended up being such minor things in the course of life and of careers that really in the long run, it probably wasn't worth the time and energy I put into it. And so today, uh, some things that I found that have been effective in helping me manage that, also some wisdom that I've picked up from books over the years that I think will help you to manage your stress level as well. And one of the key books that I found that has been so helpful to me in managing stress and worry to the extent that whenever I'm going through something difficult, I almost always make it a point to pull out this book and listen to a section of it on the audio, and that is Dale Carnegie's book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Not everyone's aware of this book. Carnegie has a much more famous book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, which you've heard on this show many, many times through my affiliation with Dale Carnegie. And yet, uh, this book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, I think is as powerful if not more powerful than the book about winning friends and influencing people, because this is the book that you can literally pick up, turn to just about any page, 
and find something that will help you to manage your stress level and give you perspective in a way that is truly masterful. So if you find that you are struggling with something right now or dealing with a lot of stress and worry, or like me, it tend to be the kind of person that goes down that path of thinking about the worst case scenario uh, immediately, I would strongly recommend How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. I'll put a link into the show notes. And this very first piece of advice of the five comes from Dale Carnegie's book. And my first advice is to seal off your troubles. And in the book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, Carnegie makes the point that large ships have these watertight compartments. So if you went on a large cruise ship and you went down into the lower decks, you would see these giant steel walls that were, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe part of the uh, architecture there of the walls in the ship, but maybe would be fairly apparent to you. And you'd see there are places where you can, uh, where giant steel walls can be cordoned off. And the reason for that is so that in the event of an accident where a portion of the ship takes on water, uh, there's a number of sections that can be sealed off that would prevent a catastrophe from downing the entire ship. And in fact, uh, when we think of things like that, the Titanic is one of the first things that many of us think of. Uh, the Titanic had had watertight compartments, but it was designed in such a way where the compartments only went up to a certain level in the ship. And so the water actually could go over them once it got over a certain level. And that's that design led to the Titanic's demise. And since then, large ships have been built built much more effectively to prevent that from happening. And that's why we don't see that happen nearly as much as it did back in those days. And so Carnegie uses this example to remind us of how we can approach our lives in our work. And his advice is to live in daytight compartments. And I, I like to think of it as sealing off your troubles, but however you phrase it, The goal is that when we are dealing with something as large and complex as our careers or perhaps some relationships we're working with in the workplace or perhaps a year-long project we're working on or perhaps, perhaps a very complex relationship with a particular customer or supplier, it is very easy to get overwhelmed by the events of the day or the moment or the last meeting and to feel like there's a catastrophe happening of the level of the Titanic. And yet, we can combat that by sealing off our troubles. Just like a large ship would seal off one of those watertight compartments if there was trouble, we want to look at our careers and our leadership in almost the exact same way. If we can seal off what we're dealing with, it'll help us to manage it more effectively. So what does that mean in practice? Well, let's say we go to a meeting with a customer and the meeting doesn't go well or it doesn't go as as effectively as it could have gone. So we, we find the ways to deal with that effectively, but we don't necessarily take that home. We don't necessarily take that into the next day or the day after that. Uh, we find a way to compartmentalize that and seal that off into the time and the moment that we can handle it and we can address it. Same thing if we're working a year-long project. It's easy for that to get overwhelming and to get stressed out and to get panicked about all the things we have to do over the course of the year. But when you're sealing off your troubles, you're sealing something into that single compartment and to say, 
here's today what I can do that's going to advance this agenda over the course of the next year that'll contribute to this. But I'm not going to worry about what I'm going to do a month from now or a year from now. It's on the calendar. It's on the schedule. All I'm going to worry about is what I need to do today, even this next hour in this moment, that I can do that's going to advance this to be further along toward the project or to advance this difficult customer situation or to handle this difficult situation with an employee. The key is to seal that off into that time frame in that moment. And then once that time is done, then to move on to the next thing. Easier said than done, I know. But if you can learn and 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 work with your own way you mentally process something to seal something off into just today or just this meeting or just this hour and to worry about it then, you'll find that your mental well-being will be so much more effective and positive than it will be if you try to handle everything mentally all at once. So that is the first reminder and the first direction. Seal off your troubles. Live in those daytight compartments to the extent that you can. Now, number two is to find the silver lining in difficult situations. A number of years ago, I was meeting with a potential client and somehow we had got onto the conversation of dealing with difficult people. And she happened to be at the time in a, uh, a very visible customer service leadership role. And so on a daily basis, she would end up handling very uh, every kind of customer interaction, positive, negative, people were upset about something, and it was in the retail industry, so uh, she saw a lot of that on a daily basis. And uh, we happened to be talking about a particularly uh, difficult situation she had handled in the recent past, and, uh, and it was a particularly aggressive person. And she said that someone at some point in her career had said, that whenever you handle a difficult uh, customer interaction or difficult situation is to figure out to find some way to find some silver lining in that, if not in the situation itself, in some broader perspective of life and of career. And so the mantra she had for herself is that uh, she and her husband, I remember uh, she telling me this, that what they had figured out is anytime they dealt with a difficult person, uh, they would walk away from that interaction and they do whatever they needed to do to resolve it. And then they would think to themselves, thank goodness I'm not married to this person. <laughs> and she said that that was so helpful to her in so many interactions of when, whenever someone would be mean or rude or even, uh, or, or even, even yell that, um, that she would walk away thinking, well, at least I'm not married to this person. At least, uh, at least I have, other positive relationships in my life and I don't have to interact with that person on a daily basis. And 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 I remember thinking at the time it was kind of um I was like, oh that's interesting. And it was a very passing remark. Um, but since I'm married to pretty much the coolest person on the planet, I've often found that this is extremely helpful when handling tough situations. And whenever, uh, thankfully, this doesn't happen very much. I can't even think of a time it's happened in the coaching for leaders community. Um, but certainly in my professional life, I've run into situations in the past where someone has been less than friendly or a situation hasn't gone as well. Or I've run into someone who's maybe got a little more of a caustic personality. And I will think this. 
I've, I've found myself thinking this over the years, like, wow, you know, at least I'm not married to this person. And so it seems like a very trite thing, but I found that to be really helpful of being able to just find the silver lining of to look at something from the broader perspective, to be thankful and to be grateful and not to necessarily wish, wish that person any ill will, of course, but just thinking from my own perspective of I'm so glad that I don't have to interact with this person on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, as I'm saying that, it even sounds a little negative and, and you know, it's it's maybe sounds like pushing that issue off to, to some other situation or someone else's problem. But I've just found from a mental standpoint that that's helpful in those situations of thinking about things from that positive perspective. In order to appreciate the wisdom behind this next uh, this next step to reduce worry, uh, it bears telling a story. I, I grew up in the Midwest, as many of you know, suburban Chicago. And while the area I grew up in is very urban, um, much of the state of Illinois is actually um, farmland and so is not heavily populated. And so when we would uh, drive to visit relatives and family uh, when I was growing up, I often remember seeing signs warning drivers about deer. And in many parts of the United States, we have large deer populations of deer. And, uh, and in some places, the populations are, are quite large. And so it's a real problem for motorists at night, especially, um, to uh, run into deer. And it, unfortunately, it happens and, and people are killed every year, a, a whole number of people in the United States from deer that go through windshields and hit cars. And it's just, it's a really sad thing when it happens. And I remember um, many, many years ago, my dad shared a story with me of a, a friend of a friend of his uh, that he just knew in passing, but um, who's uh, the, 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 it was a dad and a son. They had gone out for a drive and they had literally gone halfway down their street. They'd only gone like three or four houses down the street. And somehow a deer had jumped in front of their car and had gone through the windshield and it, and it, and killed the father almost instantly. And the, the child got out of the car and ran home to, um, to get help. And I, I just, I remember hearing that story uh, as a young person and just thinking like how tragic and how, uh, how horrible that would be to have something like that happen in your life. And I, and I also just remembered, and I've seen it, and those of you who have, who've ever driven at night and seen a deer standing in the middle of the road suddenly, it's a frightening, frightening uh, thing. Because when the headlights of a car are coming at a deer, the deer freeze in fear, and you can see the light of the headlights from the car uh, in the eyes of the deer, and they glow green. And if you know the danger that's involved in that, and you appreciate that, it is it is absolutely terrifying, as it should be, because you, you, when you see that, you have to stop instantly and, and let the deer clear out so you don't hit them. And... I think about that story a lot when I think about this very next principle, which is focus on what's next. This is the third principle of how to combat stress and worry. Because a lot of us, me very much included, I've got a little better at this over the years, but I still find myself falling in this pattern. I know it's a struggle for me. When I get stressed out, when I have a lot going on, I end up looking like the deer in headlights. And many of us, uh, I found over the years of working with clients also struggle with this is we have a lot on our plates professionally, personally, uh, both at times, and we freeze up. We become the deer that doesn't know what to do next, even though 
the most important thing that the deer could do was just to move in any direction. The deer stands there in fear and lets the car hit it if the car doesn't see it in time. And I've seen so many people do this in their careers too, not necessarily with the same tragic outcome, but just to overwhelm themselves and to not know what to do or where to go next. And I first learned this really valuable principle from Tim Stringer, who's appeared on this show several times and is a friend of mine. And Tim does wonderful work through his holistic productivity courses. You can track him down at technicallysimple.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, Tim first taught me this principle, and it's a quote from David Allen. And the quote is, there's only two problems in life. Either you don't know where you're going or you don't know the next step. And when he said that for the first time, it really resonated with me. And then David Allen, when he was on the show, repeated that principle. Only two problems. You don't know where you're going or you don't know the next step. I think a lot of times we do often know where we're going, even if we don't have it written down. We know what our goals are. We know uh, where we're supposed to be heading. And if we don't know it exactly, at least we know generally the direction we're heading. But we don't necessarily think, what is the exact next step I need to take in this situation? That's the same problem the deer has. It just doesn't know what to do next when it sees the headlights coming. And for a lot of us, when we get overwhelmed, we do not have a system to know exactly what we should do next. Because when we start thinking about all the things that we have to do, when we look at a task list that has several hundred things on it, things that have been pushed off for days and days or maybe even weeks and months, It's easy to get overwhelmed and to not know what is the next step. So the principle here is to focus on exactly what's next, not to worry about step 10 or step 20, because a lot of us get paralyzed when we see things flying at us. So if you haven't already, start to write down a list of exactly what needs to happen. But here's the key thing, in what order? I've talked about this on the show before as I work every day and each week to flag things that are of certain importance so that I will do that next. And when I'm good about following that, I find that my stress level is pretty low. When I ignore it, my stress level goes up. (laughs) Direct correlation. So if you haven't already started that list, start working on it, and you'll often get relief immediately. It's been amazing to me on several situations in my career when I've hit really difficult times, how just writing a list of what's going on, setting 15 minutes to do that can absolutely clear my head and help me to figure out exactly what I do need to do next. So that's that's number three, focus on what's next. Now number four, consider the worst case scenario. This inspiration also comes from Dale Carnegie in How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, where he advises people to think about what's the worst possible situation that could happen. And I had a reminder of this just about six months ago. Uh, Our son, uh, one evening, suddenly came down with a real horrible cough, and he has had croup a couple of times. Those of you who have small children may know that. It's it's just a nasty-sounding cough that young children get. Um, And and all of a sudden, in the evening, he came down with this nasty cough. Uh, he calls it the yucky cough when it when it's happened. And uh, and he was having a little bit of difficulty breathing. So we called his doctor, and uh, sure enough, the doctor said, you know, you really should go to the emergency room and, and get the medication tonight instead of waiting for the morning. And so I put him in the car, and it was probably about 2 in the morning, and we drove over to the emergency room. And and, and, and thankfully, he, he was not in any ever any serious danger, and so we, we waited a bit to 
see the doctor. But what was interesting is as we're sitting there and, and waiting to, to get admitted, and, and he was doing a little better at that point, um, we noticed this long line of ambulances that were outside of the emergency room. And it, it, w- it became apparent in watching the activity that was going on and seeing people come into the emergency room that shortly before we had gotten there, there had been a major accident somewhere. And a number of paramedics and victims had come into the uh, to the emergency room. And as we sat there and waited for the doctor, I remember seeing several families come in. And it was clear from the expressions on the faces of the family members and their tone of voice and their interactions with each other and with the medical staff there that the accident had been pretty severe. And um, and I don't know how severe. I don't know if people had died. But, um, but I just remember looking at that long line of ambulances and having already felt so sorry for my son and being in the situation we were in and seeing the expressions on their faces. And, and I had this dual feeling that many of us have when we see something like that of both just the, um, just the grief and, um, and how sorry I felt for those families that were going through that situation. And at the same time, holding this place of gratitude that we were, that our situation by a long shot was way better than the situation that they were in. So this, this, incredible grief and this also this incredible gratitude of realizing that there were a lot worse situations we could be in the emergency room for. And I have found in so many cases in life, and I know Bonnie has as well, of thinking through what's the worst case scenario in the situation. So whenever something things seems insurmountable or difficult or challenging, I found that if I can if I can take a moment to think through what is the worst possible outcome of this situation? A lot of times, the outcome of the particular situation, even the worst possible situation, isn't really that bad. And, and oftentimes, there's something that can be done to make the, that worst case scenario outcome a little bit better. And so my advice for you here in step number four is to consider what's the worst case scenario. Whatever you're dealing with right now, whatever could possibly go wrong, and think of what's really the worst likely thing that could happen out of this. And that if you think of that and make peace with that and then work to improve upon it a little bit, I think you'll find that your mental well-being will be even uh, even better. And then finally, the fifth, the fifth piece of advice here, eliminate worry for good. <laughs> this one's a little tongue-in-cheek, uh, I dare say, um, because none of us are ever going to eliminate worry for good. Uh, that said... I was really interested in the wisdom I heard from Dr. Wayne W. Dyer many years ago when he was giving a talk. And those of you who are familiar with Wayne Dyer, he was uh, what I guess the popular media would call a kind of a self-help guru. Uh, I don't think he would have used that term, but he was someone who was just masterful at being able to uh, help people to look at how to be confident and present and full people in the world, I guess is the best way I would describe it. And he has many, many books out there. So anything by Wayne Dyer is a great read if you're looking for some inspiration on how to operate more effectively as a human being. And I don't remember the exact wording he used, but he was talking about stress and worry and how to handle that in life. And he, he said something that kind of went like this. He said, identify what you're worried about and then determine if you can do something about it. If you conclude that you can do something, 
take action. This eliminates your need to worry about it. Makes sense, right? You figure out you can do something, take action, you don't need to worry. He went on to say, if you conclude that you can't do something about it, why worry about it? If there's nothing you can do, what's the point? Makes sense, right? (laughs) If you determine you can't do something about it, why spend the time worrying? So then he went on to say, so there's no point in worrying about the things you have control over since you can do something about them. And there's no point in worrying about the things you have no control over since you can't do anything about them. There, we've eliminated any need for you to ever worry again. Now, I have to admit that on a purely emotional level, <laughs> I recognize that it's that's not really possible for most of us, certainly for me. But the logic of it makes sense, right? So if we, if we can do something about it, do something. If you can't, you can't. Either way, the, the worry that we go through as human beings to handle problems oftentimes really doesn't do anything for us. And as much as this might be just a little kind of like parlor trick to play on our brains, I guess, uh, I've actually found this distinction to be really helpful. I found peace many times by intentionally putting my worries into one of these two categories. I can do something about it. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I can't do something about it. I let it go. I wish it was easy, as easy as I just said it. Uh, but that, that, that I found, if you, can, if you can do that, it will help you to maybe not eliminate worry for good, but at least reduce the grip that worry has on your life and your work. So here's the five things again. Number one, seal off your troubles. Just like large ships do with those watertight compartments, seal off your troubles into that zone. Give something its due for what it's worth, but don't let it take over your entire life or your entire career. Worry about today, today. Secondly is to find the silver lining. I I uh, mentioned that principle of thank goodness I'm not married to this person when you have that negative interaction, but the silver lining can be found in just about any situation. And it's crazy how well it works to trick your brain into realizing that when things are bad or seem, seem, seem really, really bad, they're often not as bad as they first seem. Number three, focus on what's next, that principle from David Allen. There's only two problems in life. Either you don't know where you're going or you don't know the next step. Know the next step so you don't become the deer in headlights. Number four, consider the worst case scenario. I mentioned that example of being in the emergency room. Think about it when you're really handling a tough situation. What is the worst possible thing that's likely to happen from the situation? And then once you've thought that through, what's maybe something you can do to improve upon that? And then finally, eliminating worry for good, or at least attempting to, the wisdom from Wayne Dyer. If you can do something about it, do something about it. Don't worry about it. If you can't do something about it, then let it go and don't worry about it either. And if you can master that, send me an email. I would love to know what you did. But I found that even the thinking about that, even just thinking about logically putting those things into those two buckets has been so helpful to me, and I hope it is helpful to you too. So there's my five. I hope that this will get you thinking about how you can tackle worry more effectively. And again, I recommend that book from Dale Carnegie, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. I know that you'll find that as a very helpful read. And speaking about things you may be worried about, I know many of you have reached out in the recent past 
with questions, looking for advice or thinking or resources that Bonnie and I bring in those monthly Q&A shows. And we're going to have another one coming up here in two episodes, episode 216. And you can submit a question, a comment or feedback on this or any show uh, right at the link coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That'll allow you to record right on your computer or uh, tablet or even phone. And you can review it before you submit it, and that way we can help out with responding to your question and consider it for a future show. And if you're not already subscribed to this show, please do so. The episodes come every Monday, and you can find this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you're listening to this show on. And before I let you go, just a reminder to join my weekly leadership guide. It is delivered to your inbox on Wednesdays and includes my thoughts and recommendations on what I think are the best articles, podcasts, videos, books, resources that I've found online that'll support your development between the shows. And it also always includes the link to the weekly show notes that will uh, help you to listen on the go and still be able to come back later and to find value in the show notes. I will have these five principles I've mentioned today in this week's guide and show notes as well. And as a bonus, when you join the weekly leadership guide, you'll get instant access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others and brief summaries from me on the value of each book. I mentioned one of them in this episode, How to Win Friends and Influence People is actually the first one on my list. And there's many others that will help you to improve your leadership. You can get that 11-page guide and a nine-minute video, if I could talk, at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And you'll start getting the leadership guide each Wednesday as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I look forward to talking with you again next week and getting those questions for the Q&A show coming up in two weeks. Have a great day. Take care.